0: This audio recording is presented by City Church Orlando.
1: This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of James chapter 3. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's Word. Please be seated. Thanks, no, David.
0: Again, good morning. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, does anyone need to grow in the area uh, of self-control? Anyone? Uh, thank you for that raised hand. Would you please escort him out and strike his name from the screen? Uh, does anyone need more willpower, uh, if you will? Uh, increased ability to bridle or guide or direct your whole body, uh, your whole Life, Self-control is defined like this in the Bible, if you look at it holistically. It's the ability, it's the power, it's the capability, it's the strength to choose the right and good and beautiful and wise option when you stand at a fork in the road with two options available to you. Self-control is when you're standing there at a fork and one path is summarized as short-term gain but long-term pain. The other path is summarized as short-term pain, but long-term gain and peace and flourishing. The easiest way for me to summarize this, I think that'll hit most of us is to illustrate with food and or alcohol. Um, You've enjoyed an amazing 17 course meal with friends and the waiter asks you, would you like to see the dessert menu, right? You're you're there. And the path of indulgence is it's scrumptious for a season. But the net effect in the long run is less sleep, a less healthy body, uh, less energy the next day, and a strange desire or pull or, or addiction to do it all over again the next day. Obviously, the path of self control is the opposite short term pain, long term gain. You've enjoyed. A few drinks uh, with good company, and the host says, "Can I get you another?" The path of indulgence is filled immediately with pleasure and laughter and escape. But the long term is filled with pain and, and, and suffering as we live out the consequences of losing control. So does anybody need more self-control? Anybody need more willpower? Anybody uh, need an increased ability to bridle their whole life? Uh, maybe it's, it's money. Uh, buying what you need versus uh, buying everything you can at your income level. Uh, maybe it's uh, willpower in terms of private worship. And time, and let's say private Bible reading. Self-control is choosing to go to bed instead of watching another hour of TV, and then it's choosing to get up instead of hitting the snooze. Self-control as it relates to serving at the rescue mission, let's say. You know, I I have never in my car at 6.30 thought the short-term gain was going to work at the rescue mission. It always seems intensely painful at that moment. But I have never driven home at 9 o'clock and not realized the incredible gain and peace and flourishing that comes from serving others. At 6.30, I'm at a fork in the road. Short-term gain. Versus long term pain or long term, uh, excuse me, short term pain versus long term gain. Okay, so this text, if you're wondering, okay, where did we get here? At the surface level, it looks like it's about the tongue. It looks like it's about human speech. It looks like it's about words. But the deeper issue addressed by James is, in fact, here, self control or to use his words, willpower. So in the sermon, I'm going to use. Uh, I'm going to get at self-control through talking about the tongue, because in our lives, we increase in self-control through the tongue as well. Okay, so I'm going to show it to you like this. New news about the tongue, uh, at least it's new for me, bad news about the tongue for all of us, and good news about the tongue uh, for some of us. Okay, so new news, at least for me, bad news for all of us, Uh, good news for some of us. Here's the new news. I told you this last week, if you'll remember, um, when, we, when we leapt off from this text into other Bible passages talking about the power of the tongue, especially in the lives of other people, I, I told you um, that, that there was something brand new to me uh, in here that's massive and crucial, and that it was brand new to me last week. And, and then this week I told Rue, um, I said, I think I know what it says, but I, I'm really not sure I have any idea what it means. Um, so I think I'm at the point this morning, I think I can clearly show you what James says. I'm not sure I can tell you what it means. So like in five years, if we come back to James and you're still here and I'm still here, maybe we'll have a little more figured out. But here's the new news to me, that not only is our tongue, our speech, and our words the most powerful member of our body and the most difficult member to control, our tongue is the pivotal member it is the pivotal member in our body when it comes to self-control. The tongue is the instrument that we use to guide and control and direct every other member of our body. So let's look at verses two through five. This is new to me. If you have your texts, look at it now. For we all stumble in many ways. Okay, so it, it could be translated uh, all of us stumble or sin in lots of different ways. And it could be translated, uh, all of us stumble or fall short in a lot of ways. But either way, James is just kind of putting us all on a leveling playing field, including himself. He says, we. He, he says, none of us is perfect. All of us stumble all the time in lots of different ways. All right? So there, there's the beginning idea. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body, even though he said it's impossible to be perfect. James is saying that if we didn't stumble or fall short or sin in what we say, we'd be perfect. We'd be able. uh, We would have the strength and the capability and the power and the ability to bridle the entire body. So James is, when he says bridle, he's referring to that headgear that that we put on horses. And and with that headgear, we harness their power. We take them wherever we want them to go. And so James um, is at least saying this. He's at least saying that if we had the power to control our tongues, if we had the power and the capacity to not sin with our tongues, we'd have the power to control and guide and manage our whole body, the various members or limbs or parts and all the things that they like. To do, And so he's at least saying this, that if you sort of can knock the number one team uh, off, you should be able to knock off every other team in the conference. He's at least saying that. But look at, at three through five. He's saying so much more than that. Verse three. Uh, actually, you know, it jumped down to verse five. He says, so also, it's the beginning of verse five. So he's gonna give two illustrations and then he's gonna say, so also the tongue. So these two illustrations are illustrating the tongue, all right? I want you to remember that as we go through. Verse 3, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So the tiny bit, that, that little metal piece that we put in the mouth of the horse, that, that guides and directs the whole body, uh, the massive body of the horse. Listen to this. The horse obeys the rider who uses the bit as the instrument of control. So also the tongue. The tongue guides our whole body, and our whole body obeys us as we use the tongue as the instrument of control. Same thing, verse 4, look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, and look at this part, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So the tiny rudder guides the massive ship. So also the tongue guides the whole body. And the rudder is the instrument used by the pilot to take the ship wheresoever the pilot wills or wishes or desires or wants or longs to go. So also the tongue. It is the rudder. It's the instrument used by us to control and guide and direct the the whole body. So then verse five, quickly. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. We said last week that this is the only time this word comes up, boast in the New Testament. It doesn't have the negative sinful nuance of, of what we think of when we hear boasting. It just means the tongue can make a legitimate claim. It is a small member and it makes a massive claim, a massive legitimate claim. And that claim is this. It is the instrument that guides all the other members of our body now this is what it says and you can join me in spending some time together trying to figure out exactly what it means but it at least means this that james is talking about and teaching us about the power of self talk let me let me qualify that before your mind jumps to something i don't mean he, he is talking about the power of internal dialogue. He's talking about the power um, of internal processing, the power of what we say to ourselves, whether these words are ever audible or not. He, he's teaching on intrapersonal communication. James is telling us that when our mind is churning, our tongue is working. He's teaching us that when our minds, now remember, we're talking about self-control. When our minds are turning, our tongue is working. Now, as strange as it sounds at first to talk about self-talk, to talk about internal dialogue, to talk about intrapersonal communications, I know that this reality exists. How many times has Trisha, my wife, said to me, where are you? And I will say, I'm sitting right here. I mean, she's not texting me, where are you, or phoning me and asking, where are you? She's like, where are you? And I'll say, I'm right here. And she'll say, no, you're not here. Your body's here, but you're not present. And what is happening to me when I am there, but not there? I'm a million miles away, and I'm listening to myself. Catch that? I know that there's something called intrapersonal communication. I know there's something called a dialogue that's going on inside of me. That my tongue is not just a powerful weapon and or tool to be used in the lives of other people, but it's actually immensely, incredibly, deceptively powerful in my life. Listen to this. It's a rather long passage by my favorite commentator on James. He wrote this. The tongue is so much more than what we actually say out loud. In fact, actual speech is probably only a small percentage of the use of the tongue. We cannot think without formulating thoughts and words. We cannot plan without describing to ourselves step by step what we intend to do. We cannot imagine without painting a word picture before our inward eye. And listen to this. We cannot resent without fueling the fires of resentment in words addressed to ourselves. We cannot feel sorry for ourselves without listening to the self-pitying voice which continually tells us how poorly we've been treated. But if our tongue were so well under control that it refused to formulate the words of self-pity, the images of lustfulness, the thoughts of anger and resentment, then these stumbles or sins would be cut down before they ever had a chance to live. This is powerful. Listen to this. The control of the tongue is more than an evidence of spiritual maturity. It is the means to it. The control of the tongue is more than an evidence of spiritual maturity. It is the means to which we get to spiritual maturity. That's what the text says. And so that's new news, at least the way James presents it to me. And you're maybe actually thinking that's not just new news. That's actually great news. Because what you're telling me is that my lack of, of, of control when it comes to eating is, my lack of control is going to be dealt with by learning how to control my tongue. That if I could control my tongue, my internal dialogue, I could control my eating. Or that's great news, very helpful. Let's pray, let's sing, let's go home. I've got what I need. What, what you're saying is this, that in order to get control of my spending... My, my use of my credit cards, in order to get control of that, what I need is to figure out how to use my tongue, my words, my internal speech to guide that part of my body, to direct that part of my life, uh, to control that part of my existence. And, and we might be thinking, this is great news. This is, this is the missing piece. This is what I never knew. If I want to go to the places I want to go with my life, all I have to do is get control of my tongue. All I have to do is subdue my tongue. All I have to do is tame my tongue. And yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what James is saying. But I have really bad news. Pick up with me in the second half of verse 5. I want to walk you through the text, making a few points, and then I want to just unpack the three illustrations that James himself uses to talk about our tongue and the effect that our natural sinful tongue has on us in the entirety of our lives. Second half of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. So we talked about this last week. Disproportionate power, effect, and consequence. A small spark uh, can destroy through a brush fire an entire countryside, okay? Verse six, and the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness, a cosmos of evil. That's a lot of evil. The tongue is set among our members. I thought about showing you this phrase a little earlier while I was preaching to prove the point that the tongue, um, what what I said about the tongue being the pivotal member of our body. uh, This to set among uh, really most naturally means to appoint a leader, to put someone in charge, to set people in order of rank. And so James says directly here what he illustrated above, our tongues are in charge of our bodies. They are set in charge. They are placed in control. And look at how they use this power. Bad news. Staining the whole body. Setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, subdued, put under control. And has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. Full of deadly poison. I told you it was going to be bad. Let's go back. Let's just unpack and see how bad this actually is. Okay. Three illustration. James uses three illustrations to talk about the effect that our natural, sinful, fallen, depraved tongues, the effect it has on the rest of our life, all of our members, all the parts of us. First, it's a wildfire. It's a brush fire. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small spark, setting on fire the entire course of our life, as set on fire by hell. Now, this should sober us a good bit. Um, hell is is the word Gehenna, and it's, it's a Greek translate, transliteration of two Hebrew words that are, are for the valley of Hanan, and, and um, it, it's the valley right outside of Jerusalem, and in Jesus' and James' day and age, this is the valley that the people who lived in the city, they would take their trash and they would burn their trash in Gehenna, and this was Jesus' favorite word when he was teaching about hell, that place where Satan resides, that place of ultimate condemnation for those who do not run to Jesus and beg for his gracious gift of salvation, and James said, is that our tongue uh, it could control us by the design of God it could give us life it, it could bring flourishing and control and peace but in the end it destroys us through fire and the fire comes from hell and the fire comes from Satan himself that this is the place inside of us that Satan goes after to introduce death and destruction to our lives so first it's a fire a wildfire caught on fire from hell Second illustration, the tongue stains the whole body, verse 6. It's a word for polluting. It's a word for staining. It's a word for defiling. It's only found in the Bible in one other place. It's in the book of Jude. And Jude talks about garments being stained by the flesh. The word was used in James' day and age. It's PG-13, but I'll try and keep it down. The word was used in James's day and age to talk about stains on the person's underwear, their tunic. It was used in James's day and age to talk about bodily fluids, male and female, that would stain or defile or pollute a garment. And James says, our tongues stain the whole body. The whole body that could be guided and kept under control by the instrument of the tongue is actually stained through and through by it. Third illustration. The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison restless is unruly, unstable, uncontrollable, prone to lash out, prone to strike. At first my mind I was trying to think how would I illustrate this word and I thought I thought volcano. A volcano is unruly, it's unstable, it intermittently spews lava and fire. And so because I had fire in my mind from the previous illustration I was thinking maybe James is talking about this here but then I kept studying, I kept searching, I kept thinking, I kept scouring and and I realized that restless or liable to strike out was used in James's day and age a lot with the next phrase, full of deadly poison. EOS. Venom. In Romans 3, Apostle Paul um, he's describing the reality that all of us are unrighteous apart from the gospel. He's describing our fallen, condemned state apart from Jesus. And he says in Romans 3, our throat is an open grave. We use our tongues to deceive. The eos or the venom or the poison of asps is under our lips. Our mouths are full of curses and bitterness. The poison of asps is under our lips. An asp is a small southern European viper with an upturned snout. It's also called in Egypt the Egyptian cobra. Our tongues are not only a match that catch the entirety of our lives on fire, our tongues are not only those parts in the nether regions of us that stain our garments, our tongues are vipers, fangs full of poison, continuously striking not only others but our very own selves with venom. He is not talking about how our words hurt other people right now. He's talking about how our words hurt us. And this is how he describes it. I don't think he could be more holistic. I don't think he could be more in total. I don't think he could be more comprehensive. I don't think he could say it more bluntly. By the design of God, our tongues are placed in authority over the rest of our bodies and lives. And our tongues were to be the instrument of our heart used through our words to control and guide and direct the rest of our members. And they were intended to bring life and flourishing and peace and dominion to us and others. But as fallen, depraved, and sinful humans, our tongues now continue the same amount of power. But instead of producing life and flourishing and peace and righteousness, our tongue is an instrument of destruction of defilement of death. And again, verse 8, no human being, um, literally no mere mortal, can tame, control, or subdue the tongue. Now, this week in your city group, Okay, so if you're new to us city group, this is what we call our home fellowship groups. We have these groups of eight to 12 people. They uh, Adults, they meet in various neighborhoods of downtown Orlando, various neighborhoods in Metro Orlando, and, and we get together. And most of the time, if we're not serving together or having a party together, we, we discuss something called a sermon conversation guide. It's where we take these sermon texts and we apply them uh, to our hearts and lives in gospel communities. So in this week, in your city group, uh, with the sermon conversation guide, you're going to start out by discussing that area of your life where you'd like to see an increase in self-control or, or maybe where you'd like to see any self-control at all. I've got a few areas like that in my life. But then after you articulate that place where you feel like you need biblical, spiritual self-control, secondly, you're going to begin to consider together. And I think it's going to demand community to figure this out. You're going to have to uh, begin to dialogue uh, together and try and figure out what is the self-talk behind the lack of control. And, and either in your own journal or out loud, if you have the courage, um, and, uh, you'll, you'll begin to consider what is the internal dialogue What's the intrapersonal communication inside of me that takes me down that path? Remember, that's the context for the verses. So I'll give you a little bit of an example from my life, all right? This is what I mean. I'm trying to connect these dots. It's new to us. We're trying to figure out now what it means. Saturday is supposed to be my Sabbath. Saturday is supposed to be that day where I cease from work, I enjoy rest, and I receive from God refreshment by faith every Saturday. I am tempted every Saturday to work on the sermon. Every Saturday. It's okay if other pastors work on their sermons on Saturday. I believe God's told me not to. Every Saturday I'm tempted. 89% of the time, I fail. 91% of the time, I fail. (laughs) Short-term gain, but long-term pain looks like this. Short-term gain, long-term pain. Sneaking off for a few hours. Making some headway on the sermon. That's the short-term gain. I couldn't find anything else out at all anywhere that was a gain for me doing this when I lose control and decide to work on the sermon. Listen to the long-term pain. Great expense to my body because I don't rest. Great expense to my relationship with my kids because that's the only time that they're not in school. Great expense to my relationship with Jesus who I'm supposed to trust as I cease from my work and believe that he's in control and he can handle it all. Incredible expense. Incredible expense. Short-term pain, but long-term gain. Okay, so if I were to pick the path of short-term pain, so say no to working on the sermon when I believe that it's my Sabbath. Short-term pain, long-term gain, it looks like this. It's not having all my ducks in a row for the sermon. It's a feeling of anxiety that I don't know what to do with. But the gain is kids who know their dad. The gain is a dad who feels rested and alive. The gain is a man who learns more about prayer without ceasing because I am, I am giving up control and I am declaring my dependence on God that he must pull through or we're not going to make it. And when I stand at the fork in the road every Saturday, when I, when I choose to work, this is the internal dialogue that guides me and directs me to that place of lack of self-control. I'm telling you, I clearly don't want the short-term gain and the long-term pain, but I keep picking it so many places over and over in my life. And this is what's going on inside of me. As I sat and I reflected on what's behind that choice, this is what my tongue is saying. You're worthless unless the sermon is great. If the sermon isn't perfect, if every word isn't perfect, you and it are an utter failure. Those people listening to the sermon, they need a good sermon. Life and death, eternal realities are in the balance. It's up to you whether or not they make it. I used to think I had no choice. I just made a choice. And then I began to realize, no, I'm choosing to live a way I don't want to live. And then I begin to sit back and say, what is my tongue telling me to destroy me and to defile me and to put me to death? And there it is, that I have got to find life apart from the gospel, that I have got to prove I'm worth something, that I have to justify my existence. Now, again, you have a Citigroup opportunity to to work this out, If you're not in a group and you want to be in one, um, find me after the service. I am that guy who helps you get into those groups. But you're self-taught. It could look like this. Maybe this is what is going on in your head when you make that choice, whatever that choice is. I'm smarter than all these people. I should be and I ought to be in control. I should make more money next year. It's okay if I spend that money today on credit. My life has been hard And it's almost as though um, um, I'm owed by life this little guilty pleasure. This person has hurt me. It's really not that big a deal at all if if I gossip about them for a few moments. In fact, it might, in fact, bring fairness and justice to the situation. I'm out of town. No one ever has to know. I plan to marry this person. It's okay for us to do this now ahead of God's timing. I'm worthless if I don't have the height and the weight and the figure and the proportionality that this culture is promoting at this time. And therefore, I have to be less than healthy. I I have to uh, eat in unhealthy ways and work out in unbalanced ways. I have to. If I get this or if I have that or if I accomplish these things or if I have this relationship with that person, then, then I'll be content. Then my life will be peaceful. Then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be justified in my existence. The ends justify the means. Whatever I have to do to get this or that is worth it. This week, you'll have the chance in loving gospel community, the chance to look at the speak behind the choice and try and figure out where the internal destruction, defilement, and death is coming from in your life. Now, that has been very heavy. Um but beyond the new news and beyond the bad news, I have really good news. And I actually think you have to go that heavy to find good news in these next verses. All right, so pick up with me in verse nine. With it, that is the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh fruit. You're saying, where's the good news in that? (laughs) Let Let me explain it. Let me go backwards. Let me show you the incredible news that's actually in this text. First, James, he's in verses 11 and 12, he's alluding to very common teaching in Scripture, the Old Testament and New Testament. Most famously, Jesus taught that our words flow uh, um, from our heart, that the nature of our hearts can be seen by the fruit on our lips. He says in Matthew, uh, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And then he says in Matthew, a tree is known by its fruit, for out of the abundance or overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you, if you look at 11 and 12, James is saying, without saying all the same words, he's making reference to Jesus' teaching and he's reminding us that through our, the, 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 let's, let's say it this way, that though our lips have incredible power and effect, they are the, the instruments in the hands of the heart. That if you spend all your time worrying about the tongue, you'll miss the reality that the tongue is controlled by the heart. That place that wills, longs, desires, wishes, And directs wheresoever the pilot directs. And so James is saying that in nature, In the natural world, the fruit of something is proof of the essence of that thing. So the mouth of a spring will either pour forth fresh water. It's literally glucose from where we get um, sweetness, sugar. It'll pour forth sweet water or it'll pour forth salty water. And a fig tree only bears figs, not olives and figs. And a grapevine only produces grapes, not figs and grapes, etc. So in nature... A plant or a spring is known by its fruit or what it produces, and there can only be one option, but with believers, with those who have been saved from the guilt of our sin and the death of Jesus, for believers, for those who are being saved by the indwelling power uh, of the life of Jesus, for those he calls believers, he calls brothers and sisters in verse 10. That's his word for the faithful. He says, our mouths can both bless and curse. That brothers and sisters can give both life and spread death, not only to other people, but to ourselves. And so look at verses 9 and 10. He says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. He doesn't say we pretend to bless. He doesn't say we hypocritically bless. He says we bless, we worship, we praise God, our Father. And with it, that is our tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Uh, A curse in the ancient Near East is is way more than just sort of abusive language. A curse is a calling out to God to see the need in another person's life and to refuse to meet that need and send that person away from his presence forever. And when he says, we curse others made in the image of God, he is certainly talking about people outside of us. But if you think about the weight of the passage, he's also saying... We curse ourselves. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. He doesn't say these things can't happen. Like in the natural world, he's saying, he said these things ought not to happen. But they do. And in that, I find incredible good news. Here's why. Why? He's already in the text said that my tongue is utterly and completely and comprehensively corrupt and that no mere mortal can tame the tongue. Augustine, St. Augustine, in the fourth century wrote, he does not say that no one can tame the tongue. He says that no one of men can tame the tongue. So that when the tongue is tamed or when we bless, we confess that this brought about, this is brought about by the pity and the help and the grace of God. So he's already said, you can't tame it. And he's already said, we all stumble in many ways. So when he says, we bless our Lord and Father, when he says, something good comes from our tongues, when he said, something sweet comes from our heart, that's gospel. That means, even though bad things come through our tongues from the flesh, the old man that still lives inside of us, because something good and sweet and healing comes from our heart, we can rejoice in the saving work of God. No man can tame the tongue, but with God, all things are possible. I told you you had to look hard, but it's actually good news in nature. Okay. Apart from a gardener grafting in a limb from, from another plant and producing two fruits from the same tree. I realize if you're a stickler, that's true, but, but, but in nature, it's impossible for two fruits to come from the same tree. But as one commentator put it brilliantly, he said, A man is not, after all, a tree. A man is not, after all, a tree. The biblical picture of those of us being saved by the gospel is this that at the core of who we are is a new heart that receives the love of God and believes the gospel. And this new heart. Because of what God has done in us, it brings healing and life and flourishing to other people outside of us, the power of words. But also this new heart brings healing and life and flourishing to us internally in our fight for self-control. He says, out of the same mouth come blessings and curses. It shouldn't be this way, but it is. And so, ironically, the answer to verse 11 is this. Can both sweet and salty come out of the same opening? Yes. Not in nature, but it can in a believer being transformed by the power of God. I had a, uh, a man who invested significantly in my life, and I, I would say I have a professor that when he was my professor in seminary, I, I never thought what he was teaching me would make any difference in my, my world and life. And then as I've planted this church, I go back to what that professor has said more than what any other professor has said. It's amazing how time can reveal wisdom. And uh, I had someone who poured into me significantly. And he used to say this, whether I was struggling with temptation or failing in temptation, whether I was experiencing what some might call an anxiety attack whether I was um, proud for the good work that God had done through me or whether um, I was proud and arrogant for how smart I was compared to other people, he used to say this to me, you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. He would say, you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. James says in chapter one that pure and undefiled religion is defined by three components And then the rest of his book, honestly, is outlined by those three components. But the first one he says is this. To have pure and undefiled religion before God. Pure, unstained religion before God. What does he say? You have to bridle your tongue. He doesn't say you kill the horse with a shotgun. He says you direct the horse to where you want it to go. And he says if you're not bridling your tongue, what are you doing? You're deceiving yourself. All I'm trying to say is this. If you're not speaking the gospel to yourself and others in community, you're being told lies by your tongue. It is never asleep. It is never, on, uh, it is never resting. It is never spinning its wheels. It is always doing something inside of you. And the key to self-control is living in community, rehearsing the gospel for yourself, and bringing that reality into every choice of self-control. I wish we had more time to talk about it, but we don't. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. As I look at my life and as I look at what I have done with it, I am just blown away that you have saved me, that you've been gracious to me, that you love me, that you enjoy me. I'm just blown away that you're at work in me, that you can take... Uh, the mess I have made of my life, and you can not only forgive it, but you can begin to transform who I am from the inside out. I praise you, Father. I bless you, my Lord and my Father, for this reality, that you're at work in us. Would you convince us? Uh, this week that not only are we forgiven in the gospel, but the power for change is there. And would you teach us how to talk to ourselves in gospel ways? Would you teach us how to feed on the truths of Christ? Would you teach us how to yield to the work of your Holy Spirit? Would you teach us, would you stop us from listening to the deceptive reality of our old tongue? And would you give us the power of a new tongue that proclaims the gospel? In your name we pray.